are live. Welcome back, my friends. I'm so pleased you're joining today. Today, we are going to be continuing our ongoing series on the Haggadah. And we're going to talk about some fascinating stuff. Duty. Duty calls. Or do we have to fulfill our call of duty? It's interesting that the word chayav shows up multiple times in the Haggadah. There are lots of things that we're obligated in or expected to do tonight. But this is the first time tonight that we're going to speak about our duty, our responsibility, our obligation to thank Hashem. Now, to be sure, this is not the first time we're thanking Hashem. We began this process of thanking Hashem on the night of Pesach in the Beit HaKnesset, in the Shul. And we'll talk about that tomorrow night once we get to the song of Hallow. And we talk about the obligation that we have to recite Hallow. A very unusual Hallow in the Haggadah. But before we get to Hallow, the Hallel, which begins in Shul, in Beit HaKnesset, the synagogue, before we get home, and the Hallel, which continues, although it is broken up during the course of the Passover Seder, before we get to that, we are introduced to the words, L'fichach, therefore, Anachnu chayovim, we are duty-bound and obligated. We're reaching the crescendo, the climax of the Haggadah. We've began this narrative by talking about our humble beginnings and then we talked about the extraordinary developments. There are multiple ways in which the Haggadah is supposed to be structured and so we fulfill every duty or obligation possible in the narrative, in the telling of the story, in the relating of what happened and relating it to ourselves in a very personal way. And at this point, after we've done all of that, we've listened to the questions, we've given the answers, we've pointed to the objects on the table, we've spoken about, we've spoken, pardon me, about Jewish eternity and about the everlasting gift of freedom. We've spoken about the trials and tribulations of our ancestors prior to the Exodus, the extraordinary triumph of the redemption, and then we talked about the trials and tribulations we continue to face until this very day. And at this point in the Haggadah, the author of this extraordinary book, the Baal Haggadah, tells us, Lefichach, therefore, Anachnu Chayovim, we are obligated. To be fair, this is a direct continuation of the Mishnah, which we spoke about in previous episodes. Although, as this little paragraph unfolds, it begins to deviate from at least certain versions of the Mishnah as we have it. All of this is just a little bit of a segue, just a little introduction. I hope you're still with me. I hope you're going to stay. I really and truly believe that today's class will make a difference in how you view yourself, your family, and the Seder. With no further ado. The words are not strange to Torah Jews. In fact, 
praying mantises, I mean praying Jews, do this on a regular day basis. Every single morning we say these words in the preamble to the Shachrit prayer. Therefore we are obligated. We speak about creation, we speak about our being brought into existence, we speak about the fact that God selected our patriarchs and matriarchs and empowered us. We kind of allude to the ultimate essence of us being born as a nation, although we don't do it openly, overtly, and we finish with the words, Lefichach, therefore. So it's not unusual. Not unusual by a long stretch. But nonetheless, it is unique here in the Haggadah, where we begin not with the notion of Chayovim or Chayov, we heard about that previously. Behold, Davidor Chayav Adam Liras. A person is obligated. We have many obligations. But Lafichach, therefore, is a new word, a new idea, which is now being introduced as it reaches the climax. Lafichach means therefore, or because of all of this. And so I begin with the simple question because of what? Lefichach, therefore we must. It is therefore our call of duty. It, what is therefore? What causes that call of duty? Let me share with you the words of the great Rabbi Elazar Rokeach, chief disciple of Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid, movement in the 12th century led by Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid, Rabbi Eliezer Okeach, the Balar Okeach, writes a book which he calls Blended Like Sweet Perfume. It has the name, the gematria of his name, Elazar, the same uh, gematria, and he's known as the Balar Okeach. It is actually the last name of very famous Jews, even till this very day, who are descended from the Balar Okeach. The Balar Okeach, for just your own uh, edification, was born in the last quarter of the 12th century, in the year 1176. So his teachings really begin to take wings and become publicly disseminated in the 13th century. And he wrote, Lefichoch, Achar sha'onu ke'ilu yitzanu mimitzai. After the previous paragraph, the part of the Mishnah which we studied in previous episodes, after having been informed that we have a duty, an obligation to personalize, it's ki'ilu yotzanu mimitzrayim. Since it's as if we left Mitzrayim, says the Balarakech, if it's as if you left Mitzrayim, if you've managed to appreciate the notion of the Exodus in a personal way, if you feel as if you've left Mitzrayim, if you feel as if these miracles happened to you, well, in that case, then it is obligatory, mandatory for us to recite a songful, Praise to God. From the Rokeach's perspective, it seems very clear that this is the direct result of the feelings you've engendered. You personalized it, you're obligated to say thank you. If you didn't personalize it, you wouldn't be obligated to say thank you per se. Whoever these miracles happened to should have said thank you. You can be mindful of it, but you don't have to get up and sing in the rain. 
You don't have to dance in the aisles. You don't have to say, let's sing, let's acknowledge, let us praise. It's not me. But now that we know it is you, and that's the way we view this entire narrative in a personal lens, if so, chayovim, we have an obligation. The Rokeach continues, and I'm, I'm skipping, but I'll share with you the text of the Rokeach a little later. He says, Ulefi shahotzi otonu, because he took us out, because vigidlam, because he magnified us. Therefore, we are obligated to sing Hashem's praise. So the Rokeach is very clear. We find something very similar in the words of Avudraham. Avudraham is Rabbeinu David ben Avram. Rabbi references him very often in the Haggadah. He wrote a book in which we speak about customs and various prayers that the Jewish people engage in on a regular basis. You'll forgive me. Still battling that silly cold. Avudraham. Avudraham is uh, definitely a Sephardic sage. He lives in Seville. I believe he spent most of his life in Seville, although there was a time it seems that the Avudraham also was in Florence. And it does seem that Avudraham spent some time studying in France. Now, France and Spain share a border, which is interesting because. Ashkenazic tradition comes from the Germanic provinces that include Alsace-Lorraine or southern France. The Jews living in Sforad, who had migrated from Babylon, that were living in Spain and Portugal, are the origin of the Sephardic tradition. Avudraham seems to have absorbed the traditions of Ashkenaz as well, for he studied for a time in France. At any rate, the Avudraham writes the following, and I quote, That is as if to say, Since it's as if we went out, we, as we discussed in great length in two episodes ago, in the 28th part of our Haggadah in depth. Then it is obligatory for us to sing God's praise. Our ancestors did this. We'll learn about that tomorrow or in the coming episodes. So we must replicate what our ancestors did. They sang Hashem's praise. We sing Hashem's praise. Why? They experienced miracles and sang and thanked. We have now experienced these miracles in a personal way. We've personalized these miracles. You have the opportunity and the responsibility to thank Hashem as well. Abarbanel, Rabbeinu Yitzchak Abarbanel, from Lisbon, Portugal. He's born nearly a century after Avudraham. He really represents the end of the glorious era of Spanish or Sephardic Jewry in Sforad. He was uh, eventually routed from the country along with so many millions of other Jews who suffered terribly. 
But Don Yitzchak Abarbanel, we're talking now 15 centuries, born in 1437, the 15th century Sephardic sage, he, in his commentary on the Haggadah Zevach Pesach, says something very similar. And I quote, Ma'achar sha'onu atzmenu yotzonu, since we ourselves have left, chova aleinu lahalo. So you see, common tradition, these are great sages representing various stops, if you will, geographically as well as historically, and they have the same idea. This idea that the Baal Haggadah's intention, that the Mishnah's intention was once we personalize, then it's our duty, our call of duty, to thank Hashem. Having said all of this, it's not so simple as they say. There are other sources, but these are three primary major sources. The Rokech is in Worms in Germany. Avudraham somehow straddles both traditions. Abarbanel is squarely in Portugal, where his family was for many, many generations. He had a tradition of being descended from Sions of the House of David, who fled Israel in the time of the first Beis Hamikdash. At the same time, a very different tradition comes our way. Firstly, I'll take you to the words of Rabbeinu Yehuda ben Yakar. He's not well known. I mentioned him yesterday. He wrote a commentary in the Haggadah. But Rabbi Yehuda ben Yakar is famed as one of the teachers of Ramban, Nachmanides. In fact, Nachmanides openly refers to him as my teacher. We're talking now about the 12th century. And he lived in Spain, in Seville. In the Haggadah of Riben Yakar, he says, And it is therefore that we say, we chant tonight at the Seder. All of these different expressions of praise. Because, as the Mechilta says, the Jewish people were leaving Mitzrayim, it says, Biyad Ramba, the Torah says, in the 14th chapter of Exodus. Magid, this teaches us, when it says, when it says the Jewish people were going out in a glorious, triumphant, openly prideful way. The Egyptian taskmasters, the cruel, and vicious people who had beaten and murdered their slaves for decades. Swearing and cursing. They were not very happy. The Jewish people left despite the nasty words being hurled at them, the insults being expressed by the former taskmasters. It was water off a duck's back. It meant no difference. The Jewish people were in a different space. They were exalted, uplifted, inspired, proud, feeling glorious and triumphant. And that's how they left Mitzrayim. And doing so, they gave song. They gave ear to praise, to musical, tuneful praise to Hashem. The Tiferet, giving glory. To the master of battles, who fought our battles. 
God. And because God fought our battles, we acknowledged, thanked and praised Him. Sadi ben Yaka goes on to describe this in great detail. He links it to a Medrash Tanchuma. And then he says, and I quote, Nimsa, we find ourselves informed. That the Jewish people left the land of Egypt in slavery on cloud nine, feeling great about themselves. That's why we say all these things. In other words, the Jewish people felt like they were the object of these praises. They felt great. They felt praised. They felt glorified. They felt acknowledged. They felt heard. They felt important. Their esteem was restored to them. And because that's how Hashem let us leave Mitzrayim feeling this way, then we in turn should pass, if you will, that adulation unto God. Now, of course, you may ask, what difference does it make if you and I are going to glorify God? Like, really, He needs a pick-me-up for His self-esteem, eh? God's feeling down, so when I say to Him, Oh, God, you're so great! Now God feels better. It's an excellent question. But that is beyond the purview of our Haggadah studies. That's a question about prayer in general. Rabbi Huda Minyakar is saying to us, though, as God uplifted our self-esteem, our feelings, we have the privilege or the duty to respond now to Hashem in the same fashion. It is extremely telling and compelling that Rabbi Yehuda ben Yaakar does not mention anything about the previous statement of personalizing the Exodus. It's not because we personalize it. It's because that's the right thing to do. In the frame of the Exodus, that's what happened then, and that's what we should be replicating today. Rabbi Yehuda ben Yaakar is not the only major commentator who doesn't take the path of Rokeach, of Udraham, and Abarbanel. As I mentioned yesterday in a previous episode, the Ritva, Rabbeinu Yomtev, a Sevili, a Sevili is said to be a permutation of from Seville. You got it, the Ritva, born in the 13th century, was raised in Seville, studied Torah by the Rashba, Rabbeinu Shlom ben Avram ben Aderet, studied Torah under the tutelage of Rabbeinu Aharon of Barcelona, and then he returned to become the Rosh HaYeshiva in Seville, the Ritva, as he is known in learned circles. And his writings are, I would say, one of the most basic staples for any Talmudist. It is impossible to envision an academy of Talmud where the Ritva is not a daily guest. The Ritva also wrote a commentary on Haggadah Shol Pesach. The Ritva says, Omru b'mechilten, he refers to the mechilta, v'yamartim zevach pesach, and he says, bo l'lamedcha. Doesn't say the same thing as the Behud ben Yaakar, but he says, this comes to teach you, kol mi sheshomeya, whoever hears these miracles, minisim halalu, you hear of these miracles? Did you hear? <laughs> You've been sitting at the Seder for the last hour or two. I'm sure you heard. Well, if you heard, that's great. Now, the call of duty is to think. If you heard these miracles, when you hear that story, then you must acknowledge, you must sing in the aisles. In other words, from both Ritva and from Reben Yakar, 
it seems clear that this is not the result of the personalization. This is not a call of duty that comes upon us after we have successfully immersed ourselves and integrated the lessons of the Exodus into our own personal life. No, no. According to Ribbon Yakar and the Ritva, it is because of these miracles that we are obligated to acknowledge Hashem's kindness. So what's the path we should be following? I'm glad you asked. Here's the good news. I believe, although I'm not absolutely certain about this, I believe that the Rebbe addresses this very question in his commentary on the Haggadah. The Rebbe's commentary on the Haggadah, Lakutit Harim and Hagim, is extremely cryptic. You really have to study each word, each nuance, to be able to properly understand the messages that are being conveyed. The Rebbe says, Lefichach, emphasis, and he puts a dash. Lefichach, Shahotzi Otanu, that he took us out. Now, Shahotzi Otanu is really paraphrasing the previous words in the Haggadah. In the previous words in the Haggadah, we said, which proves that we have an obligation to personalize the notion of Exodus. But the Rebbe doesn't say, and he redeemed us because we see it that way. He simply says, because he redeemed us, because he took us out and redeemed us. That's why So, I'm not a thousand percent sure about what I'm about to tell you. I'm doing the best I can. I think, I think that in writing it this way, the Rebbe is following the school of thought of the Ritva and the Ribbon Yaker and others. That's what I think. And I'll tell you why I think so. Because the Rebbe doesn't say, Lefichach, because she his chayavnu, let's use, Misha Ono Atzmenu. Yatsanu, like this emphasis, Anu Atzmenu Yatsanu. He uses the phraseology of the scripture. Lefikach, Shahitzi Aisanu, Ugolanu, Anachnu Chayav Lahidis. So, on one hand, it seems like the Rebbe is saying that because we were taken out. Although, <laughs> I think maybe you could argue that the words Shahitzi Aisanu Ugolanu is because he did take us out, he did personalize us. At the bottom line, I, I'm, I'm not a thousand percent sure what the Rebbe is saying here. It seems to me that he's following the school of Ritva and Riben Yakar, because Hoytzei Sonu was very general, and he doesn't emphasize the notion of Liroisus Atzmei or Atzmenu. He uses the phraseology, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. One could argue that Shahitzi Sonu Ugaolano is an emphasis, because the Rebbe emphasizes that. It's like in italics. Is because he took us out. And it's actually in, it's italicized. So, the word is not italicized, but the words he took us out. So, we are obligated. <laughs> I don't know. I look at this, I think maybe this is the path of Riben Yakar and Ritva. It's because of the miracles. I look at it again and says, no. It says, Shahitzi Aisanu. He took us out. It's 
it seems to me that the Rebbe is addressing this issue. That's what it seems to me. And, and, perhaps, and perhaps there is emphasis on the phraseology we used without talking about the way we feel, but the way it is. I'm not sure if I'm being clear enough. Do you understand that? Do you remember two episodes ago we talked about the notion of so we said like, look, the Rambam, Rashbam, they said that means you have to show yourself. Not Liros, but Laharos. So there's the fact of the matter that I've said, the Metziot, this is the way it is. The fact is that God took each of us out and then we have to understand that, but that's what it means. And then not only God took us out, but we have an obligation to feel it. And not only do we have an obligation to feel it, but we have an obligation and duty also to express it. The obligation to feel it might be applicable all year. The obligation to express it in everything we do during the course of the night is certainly unique to the night of the Seder. So, is it because we feel it that way? I don't think so. I don't think so. But that, again, is what the Avu Raham says very clearly. He says, Because it's as if we went out. It sounds like because... We feel it, though, because we've succeeded. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe uh, the words of the Rokeach, because the reality is we all went out, and of course, we don't have the Ritva and Reb and Yaka arguing with that fact, although they say that it's irrelevant whether we actually went out, we would still have the obligation to respond. The Rebbe seems to be emphasizing because the reality is, not because we feel it, but because the reality is, that he took us out, and because we, we were redeemed, that's why Anachno Chayav Lahidis. So, this is the opening volley in, in today's class, and I want to just now quickly reframe and reiterate the call of duty can be resultant of the fact that this is us replicating what happened then, or the call of duty can be seen as a dynamic reality because this is happening to us now, because we view Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim as ongoing, that's why now, on this night, in which we feel it and express it, we must also give ear and to the praise of Hashem and express our gratitude and our appreciation. And that certainly seems to emphasize more than just the fact that there were miracles, certainly more than just the fact that that's what they did then, but there's Lefi Shahitsi Aisanu. That's why Anachnu Chayav. Is that clear? Yeah, makes sense? Okay. So now let's move on. The Rebbe says, Tesh Shvachim. There are nine different phraseologies employed, nine different words employed here. Pray, words of praise. The Rebbe adds in the parentheses that this is the Girsa in the Mishnah as it is in the Talmud Bavli. Because the Tosfos there on page 127 in the end of side A suggests that there is another version. And that's the way the Mishnah appears in the Talmud Yerushalmi apparently. And there we talk not of nine different phrases but seven phrases. And the Teisvis goes on to say that those seven phrases correspond to the proverbial seven orbits or seven atmospheres, seven heavens. So here we follow this the Mishnah as, it's, we ha, as we have it in the Bavli. 
The Rebbe notes that the Machzer Vitri, we talked about him yesterday, Rabbi Simcha Vitri, a disciple of Rashi, also the notion that there are nine different kinds of praise employed here based on the book of Tehillim, and we'll get to that in a moment. The Rebbe says, Maharal, Rabbi Yehuda Lowy, the creator of the Golem, but more importantly, the author of many, many volumes of incredibly insightful Torah teaching that serves to presage the teachings of Hasidus. It is the teachings of the Maharal and the Shalah that presage the teachings of Hasidus. So Maharal, and we also find this, he says, in the Mate Moshe, quoting the Rokeach. So I did not have a Mate Moshe, but I do have a copy of the Rokeach, and the Rokeach says, the Tisha Lishonot Yeshkan, there are nine different phrases, nine different syntaxes, which are used here, Shoshevach, we finish off by saying hallelujah, he who has serious, that is the tenth. Well, this is what the Rebbe is talking about over here, because if you go back to the commentary, the Rebbe's commentary in Haggadah, he says, that is the tenth. And he says, here, quoting the words of Rokeach, Marzavitri, Maharal, and others, Keneged Eser Lashonot Shal Shevach, this corresponds to ten phrases of praise, Sha'amar David B'Tehilim, that King David said in the book of Tilim, the God of the Kulam, and the greatest is the Halalukah at the end, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Now, excuse me. Now, you must know that not everybody sees ten different phrases of praise. As we mentioned, there's a Teisvist that talks about seven. And interestingly enough, Yabarbanel himself, in his Haggadah Zevach Pesach, has seven phrases, not nine. The Yabarbanel suggests that seven correspond not to seven heavens, as the Teisvist indicates necessarily, but he says rather to the, the patriarchs, and two, the shepherds of the Jewish people. You know them, perhaps, as guests on Sukkot. Well, they're important on Pesach, too. And they are Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov. That's three. And then we have Moshe, Aaron, and David, and Shlomo. And these are, Yosef is not included here, interestingly. These are Shiva, Gizei, Hauma. These are considered to be, according to our the seven trunks, the main trunk, of the nation, from which a nation grows. So there is this notion of seven, and the Rebbe rules that out, and he says we, clearly our Haggadah is following the idea of ten different expressions of praise. The ten different expression of praises, as the Rebbe sees it, um, follow the teaching of Rokeach, Maharal, connected to the Book of Tehillim. There are other opinions, for example, the Vilna Gaon suggests that the ten praises correspond to the ten plagues. And why do you have to get to ten? <laughs> Vilna Gaon says something very clever. He says, you know, we don't say Hallel on Purim. You know that, right? We talked about that. Why not? The Gemara in Mesechet Megillah on page 14 says, we don't recite Hallel on Purim because even after the salvation, the redemption, 
Akati Avdi Achashvedishanan. We are still servants of Achashverosh. Because we're still servants of Achashverosh, because the, the redemption is incomplete, we can't say hollow. Hollow is when you're freed, when you're rid of all the things that could possibly have inhibited you. But when the same powers to be that legislated genocide against you are still in power and you're still under their thumb and you're still subjugated, true, now that particular gzeirah, that decree has been lifted, but you're not in a different place. You haven't left that circumstance behind. So the Vilnagon says, that's why we have Teshvachim Harishayim. We have nine different phrases which lead up to the ten, the nine plagues. At the end of the ninth plague, were we slaves or not? Yes, of course we were. When were we freed? The tenth plague. Aha! Says the Vilnagon. That's why it says, Vaneimer Lafanov. He has determined the, 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 um, the, the syntax of Shira Chadosha, which we do not follow. I'll, I'll share that with you in a minute. The name of the Chadosha, and he says, "Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah." Corresponds to Makat Bechorot. Achshav, he says, "Now we can say Hallel." So that's your nine, and then the the break. The name of the Hallelujah, introducing the Hallel, which we are going to begin to chant after this little phrase of Lefikach that you remember we're reciting with a raised glass. We talked about that in the previous episode. So this is the, the teaching of the, the Vilnagarim. The, the Chevel Bnei Yehuda have a different approach. They say that the notion of ten mini shevach correspond. Oh, sorry, same thing. Same thing. He says also the, the Chevel Bnei Ruins also that it corresponds to the ten makot. But the Rebbe rules this out. The Rebbe says we are not talking about the ten makot over here. Rather, we are talking about the notion of, of, the, of, of the different forms of praise. So let, let's talk about Tehillim now. The Rebbe says there's 10 forms of praise in Tehillim. We're going to go through that in a moment. Let's talk about that. I will share with you a little bit of excerpt from the introduction to the Kihat Tehillim, a magnificent contribution to Jewish literacy in our 21st century, this beautiful Tehillim translated into English. So, David HaMelech's songs of praise to the Creator. Speak of His greatness, His goodness, and mercy, as well as Hashem's power and justice. David HaMelech, in the pages of Tehillim, pours his heart out and he declares his sincerest and purest bitachon, trust, not only faith, but trust in Hashem alone. Many of the prayers, many of the supplications that are found in Tehillim are the things that David HaMelech expressed prayerfully in times of trouble, while other chapters of Tehillim convey advice, pointing to what we could call the path of true happiness through virtue and fulfillment of Hashem's commandments. The Tehillim reflects the full spectrum of life's experiences, both of the individual and the Jewish nation collectively. Indeed, in King David's story, his exile, persecution, struggles, and eventual triumph, the Jewish people find their own story. In the words of the Psalms, an example 
and prophecy of your own life can be seen to unfold. Throughout the ages, Tehillim has served as a boundless source of inspiration, courage, and hope. And it is, of course, the foundation for virtually all of our prayers. Our prayers lean on the book of Tehillim more so than any other book in the canon of the Jewish people. So I want to introduce you to this, this idea that Rebbe said that we have this, these 10 different expressions and these 10 different expressions are, are, are meaningful and re- relevant and important because, well, because they're connected that corresponds to the way King David expressed himself. And you will say, <laughs> King David expressed himself. So what does that have to do with me expressing myself? And to this I said, ah, it's precisely because King David expressed himself this way that you can express yourself that way. Because as we just mentioned, King David's Tehillim is the book in which we can all find ourselves. Now, I don't know if this is correct, but if I'm right about my thesis, and if, if the Rebbe is emphasizing not just the Lefikach because of the miracles, but because Shahaitzi Aisanu, Aisanu us, if it's us he took out, then we are duty-bound. It's our call of duty to express thanks. If it's our personal call of duty to express thanks, what number should that be in? The obvious answer is the ten phrases of Tehillim. Why? Because Tehillim is a personal book. If the Exodus is supposed to be personalized, and we learned that it is, the book of Tehillim is also supposed to be read in a personal way. You find yourself in the book of Tehillim. Anybody who really looks for it will find it. And so this seems to be what you would call alishitose. It's an attitude that is honing in on the personal redemption, the fact of the matter that we will personally redeem it. If we're personally redeemed, then we have to express ourselves in the full gamut or range of personal expression. Of course, there are ten makot. Of course, there's this idea that we weren't free until the tenth. But that's not what this is about. This is personal. This is personal. So if this is personal, now let's take a look and see what the Maharal says about that. So first, first off, I want to tell you that I think the Maharal affirms what my, my supposition, my thesis here, about the notion of, of how the Rebbe frames this. Because the Maharal writes, Kol adam chayav Everybody's obligated to see himself as if he left Mitzrayim. And he should praise, thank, and acknowledge. Maharal doesn't say it's because you feel that way that you must. He says you're obligated to personalize and you're obligated to think. You see the difference I'm trying to, 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 to the distinction? Like in the two schools of thought before, it's because you personally, you personally experience it, that's why you must think, because you feel that way. In the second school of thought, it's because this happened, that's what they did, that's what you should do. The school of thought that I'm, I'm trying to chart out here for us, which I think is what the Deb is telling us is, it's kind of like a, a middle thing. It's not saying, it's not about how you feel, but it's, this is personal. If this is personal, if you feel it or not, the fact is it's personal. And because it's personal, you're obligated to feel it. And because it's personal, you're obligated to sing songs of praise. Not because you feel it, you must sing a song of praise. Because it is. 
because this is what it is. Because it is personal. Feel it. Because it is personal. Thank him. Express your gratitude, Tasha. Maral doesn't say one leads to the other, but he incorporates the two together. So let's talk about these ten different forms of expression, which are found in the book of Tehillim. Forgive me. Sorry about these pesky interruptions. Nothing I can do about it. Speaking of call of duty, that's called nature calling. All right. So Maharal, just to quote from you, I'm going to share with you the words of Maharal. He says, the girsa, the liturgy, the syntax, that I found in the Ashkenazic Sidurim is as such, this seems very right to me. It seems very right to me. And he goes through the phraseology as we have it in our Haggadah. And he says, as the Rebbe pointed out, and Rebbe links us, sends us off to the Maral. Him tisha shvachim, b'neim alafan of halaluka, hu shevach asiri. Says the Maral, b'nire, it seems apparent to me, shehein asana shvachim, that these are ten different phrases of, of expressing our gratitude to Hashem. Shenem arbehem b'sefer tilim. These are the very same, same ten expressions that are found in the book of Tehillim. And now Maharal says, where do we find the list of the expressions, the phrases employed by David HaMelech in the book of Tehillim, and that it's in the number of ten, because our, our, our phraseology is not exactly the same, as you'll soon see. It's not exactly the same words. But he says it's the, it's the syntax of ten. We see that, Ba'asara mine zemer, with there's ten forms, ten notes, ten different notes, melodic notes that are used to describe praise or songful appreciation in this book. We have nigun, which is a tune. We have nitzuach, which is a choir master, an arrangement, a musical arrangement. We have a mizmor, a hymn. We have a shir, we have a song. We have hallel, we have a praise. We have tefillah, a prayer, a supplication. We have a bracha, we have blessing. We have hoda'ah, thankful acknowledgement. And we have ash. Fortunate. Fortunate is the one. That's nine. And then, Bahalaluka. We have the Halaluka. And Maharal says, Godel Mikulam Halaluka. The Halaluka is the greatest of all. Now, the Rebbe quotes this in his commentary in Nagada. The Rebbe says, Godel Bikulam Halaluka. The Halaluka is the greatest. Why? And listen to what the, the Rebbe says. This is said in the Gemara, Masechet Pesachim, page one seventeen, side A. Because koilel shame v'shevach bevat achat. Let me translate that. Then repeat it again. Kolel. Kolel means it includes. Hit kalalut inclusion. It includes. It incorporates shame, the name of God. I keep saying Hallelujah because I don't want to pronounce Hashem's name in vain. Yud K. Or a yud followed by a he is Hashem's name. So it has the name of Hashem, and it incorporates in that word shevach a praise. Hallel comes from song. So hallelujah, or if you say it properly, what you're getting is the notion of Hashem's name and praise fused into a single word. And that's really special. That's really special. And the Rebbe notes that the Machser Vitri, 
speaks of this as well. Now the Machzavitri says, V'nomar lefanov, we say before him, Halleluka. Even though many of the Rishonim, including Rabbeinu Asher, the Rosh, says, V'nomar lefanov, Shira Chadosha, Halleluka. Now the Shira Chadosha is problematic, because if you have nine different expressions, and then V'nomar lefanov, Halleluka, that completes it. But if you have V'nomar lefanov, Shira Chadosha, a new song, it's, it's like it doesn't you know, add up. The 10 doesn't add up perfectly. So the, the Vilnigan's uh, syntax includes Shira Chadasha. Many of the Rishonim include Shira Chadasha. But however, the Rebbe noted in all of these Sidurim, in very important Sidurim, foundational Sidurim, the Machsavitri and the Mishnah, as we have it. The Matemosha, according to Rokeach, the Tosfos Yomtev and Psachim, the city of Sidur of Reb Shabti, Shabtai Rak, Rashkover, which is a, a city of uh, the most. Uh, authentic version of the Arizal Siddur. On all of these it says simply Lefanov, Halleluka, without Venomer Lefanov, Shira Chadasha. Because that's the emphasis here. So Venomer Lefanov, Halleluka. And that completes the number to 10. So what's so great about that? <laughs> I mean, it's really nice that Halleluka has the name of God and the praise of God. What does that make, make it so special for him? Now, I want to read uh, from the Haggadah itself, so just so you'll appreciate We say, Therefore, it is our duty, Lahodot, to thank, Lahalel, to praise, Lishabeach, to extol, Lefoer, to glorify, Leromeim, to exalt, Lahader, to honor, Levarech, to bless, Laale, to elevate, to renoble, Ulekales, and to acclaim, songfully acclaim. He who did the miracles for our ancestors and us. That seems to indicate there's the us element in there too. And then we are going to list five different examples of what was effectuated through those miracles. And we conclude with the three words. Maharal of Prague addresses this question exquisitely. He says, what makes the Shevach of Hallelujah greater than any other? And he says, but first let me preface. We thank God. I, I also thank people. In fact, if you don't thank people, something's wrong with you. The menschlich, or decent thing to do, is to thank people. So if somebody says, I'm involved in thanks, do you know that that's a religious experience necessarily? No, I'm giving thanks. Who are you giving thanks to? I'm giving thanks to my mother, I'm giving thanks to my father, I'm giving thanks to my wife, I'm giving thanks to my children, I'm giving thanks to my friends, I'm giving thanks to my community, I'm giving thanks to everybody who helped me, I can give thanks to all kinds of I'm giving thanks to God. Very often people will stand at a simcha, they say, I want to begin by thanking God. I want to thank God. God give me life. I want to thank the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave me meaning in life and mission and purpose and showed me how the Torah is relevant in my life. I want to thank my parents. They raised me. I would have been a Vildechai otherwise. I want to thank my wife. She's been a support to me. I want to thank my children. They're a joy for me. I want to thank my community, their friendship. I can thank a lot of people. And I'm always using the word thanks. How about the notion of lahalel, to praise? <laughs> you should praise people. In fact, there's a, a lot of hay made about people not praising enough. They're quick to criticize, but not quick to compliment. That's not appropriate. We should compliment. I mean, I'm not saying you should compliment for something that didn't happen or live in a delusion, but you can 
You can compliment. You can praise. You can extol. People extol somebody's virtues. Say, ah, this guy is fantastic. This woman is amazing what she did, what this person did. Amazing what this man or woman. You're talking about a person. You can extol the virtues of geography. You can extol the virtues of all kinds of things. And the same is true for each of the one of these things. You can elevate something. You can exalt something. You can honor somebody. You can bless somebody. You can ennoble. You can acclaim. What's the one thing you can't do for a person? Come on, think. What's the one thing, what's the one word you can't use when you're speaking about or to a person? What word is that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah is not appropriate. Hallelujah says praise God. Now I know in modern English it's made its way into our syntax and people give other people hallelujahs. Well, that's ridiculous because hallelujah isn't an English word and they haven't the faintest, foggiest idea of what it means. So they misappropriated it. The Hebrew means praise God. You don't say to a person, praise God, you person. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You ascribe divinity to a human being, heaven forfend? We're not allowed to do that. That's a grave sin. It's called idolatry. Maharal says, that is the amazing thing about this tenth and final praise. That's why only this praise is so unique. Because it has shame and hallow, the name of God and the praise, fused together as one. And he says, the Maharal waxes on and explains that the miracles that happened when we left the land of Mitzrayim were necessarily a transformation, a shattering of the order of nature. He says, the only one who can shatter and change nature is, you got it, the creator of nature. A malach, an angel, can suspend something temporarily. He cannot change reality. If you will go back many a lesson ago in this series where we talked about the notion of was it one miracle or was it four miracles or was it five miracles? How many miracles were there? You'll find out the meaning of five miracles. We have a beautiful ritva that talks about four elements of gas and liquid and solid and energy. And the point that we made in those lectures if I can surmise or very, very quickly kind of, kind of uh, quantify the point, the point was that God's miracles were transformative to the nth degree down to the very potential of existence itself. That's not for a person to do. It's not for an angel to do. It's not for a seraph or celestial creature. Nobody can do that. <laughs> but that's what he did. The name of the fun of Hallelujah, acknowledging uniquely the presence, the power of God. So Maharal himself says, one second, let me second guess myself. Aren't the last five chapters of Tehillim full of Hallelujahs? And they're talking about nature, not miracles. And here you're saying Hallelujahs for a miracle? Says Maharal, my dear, when you recite those last five chapters of Tehillim which speak about the wonders of nature, who are you talking to? Do you know those last five chapters of Tehillim? They form the corpus of what we call Psuke de Zimra, the verses of praise that are a part of our morning prayers. Who are you talking to? Talking to God. Exactly, my Watson, says Maharal. Precisely the point. So Hallelujah is verbiage, is a syntax, that can only be used 
from us to God. Maharal goes on and he says, this is what Moshe Rabbeinu said when God said to him, I will send an angel to be with you. Moshe said, no, 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 no. This is found in the 33rd chapter of the book of Exodus where Moshe Rabbeinu argues for the presence of God despite the fact that we committed the terrible sin, the mistake, the folly of the golden calf. Nonetheless, we must be distinct, separated and apart. Says Maharal, the word vineflinu is connected to niflaot, to wonders, to things which are only, if you will, in the lap of the Creator, in the purview of God Himself. So now we understand what the Rebbe says when he says that's because the tenth is shame, v'shevach, that comes together. And that's the name of of Hallelujah. Now, by the way, ruling out the words shira chadasha, but only having Hallelujah, the Rebbe says that's the way it is in the Mishnah. Yeah. The Rif, the Alphas, the great 10th century sage of North Africa who codified Jewish law, also has it written that way. doesn't say Shira Chadasha. The Rambam, Maimonides in his Haggadah, doesn't say Shira Chadasha. The Shibole Haleket, who's been quoted copiously in these classes, comes along at a later time and sifts through various syntaxes and he says, this is the one that gets the seal of good housekeeping. He also rules out the words Shira Chadasha. Avud Raham does it though on his own because Avud Raham is said to have studied under Rabbeinu um, Yaakov Balaturim, who's a son of Rabbeinu Asher, and Rabbeinu Asher says Shiruch Hadasha. So the Rebbe says, Avu Das Atzmai. This is his own opinion because it's not what he heard from his teachers. And of course, Maharal. And this is also found in the Siddur of Rabbi Yaakov Emden of the Yavits. Very cool. So now we know why we're obligated, and now we know what we're obligated to do, and what was effectuated. What was caused? What were the results of these miracles? Hotsi Anu, God took us out. Me'avdut l'cheirut, from slavery to freedom. Mi'yagon l'simcha, from grief to joyousness. Me'evel, from mourning, l'yom tov, to a festival day, or festivity. Me'afela, from deep darkness. Le'or godol, to a great or bright light. Mishibud from bondage, the geula to redemption. What, what are these five expressions? What do they mean? What's the difference from slavery to freedom and grief to mourning? What does it mean, grief to mourning? Who are we grieving for? Grief to joyousness. Why is mourning to festivity? Why, is, why do we have to emphasize darkness to bright light? Why does it come in this order? So let me tell you to back to Maharal, and I will share with you some of the other teachings of our great sages as well. Maharal says that these ideas are very, very precise, of course. So precise that they require our study. Let's start with the first one. He says, Avdus Lecheros. What does that mean? From slavery to freedom. He says, Avadim Moira Al Shiflus. Avdus is indicative of no self-esteem or low self-esteem, whichever is worse. They were slaves. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took them out and gave them freedom, gave them self-esteem. We had no self-esteem and now we had self-esteem. We were nobodies. As they say, we are nothing. And all of a sudden, 
we became a serious something. That's big. That's not small. That's very important. That's where it begins. And what we're seeing here, by the way, is very interestingly woven into this notion of personalization. Because we don't have to be slaves to have low self-esteem. There are people who suffer from no, no esteem or low esteem today also. Where should they get their esteem from? As the Rebbe said countless times to people in the darkest of situations, people who are old, nebuch decrepit, in, 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 in a home barely existing, the Rebbe said the fact that you can serve the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the fact that you can serve Hashem Yisbarich, and that Hashem Yisbarach is looking at you. And Hashem Yisbarach says, your words of Tehillim, your prayer is meaningful to me. That's the greatest self-esteem anybody could ever have. The king of all kings, the power of all powers, the master of everything is looking at you. God's looking at you and he says, no, I'm waiting for you. You didn't daven yet today. You didn't put on film yet today. Why is your mezuzah not in place? Your mezuzah makes me happy, says God self-esteem. It's very much personalization. So it's not about avdus lachedus. It's not only about the idea of they went out from slavery. But as we learned previously from Maharal, that the notion excuse me the notion of being free, the notion of having a sense of stature and importance is intrinsic to who we are as Hashem's special children. So Mi'avdus Lachedus is not only past tense, it's now. Maharal goes further and he says, so that's the notion of Avdus Lachedus, what's grief, what's yogoin to Simcha. So he says a person can have self-esteem, but he can be robbed of happiness. Why? Because he's burdened. I have self-esteem, but I'm so burdened that my burdens are crushing me. And my burdens, they were dispirited. They had broken spirits. So not only they had no self-esteem, they had broken spirits. And here Hashem raised us up that we should go from yogin, from the grief of crushing reality, that we can emerge into simcha, into joyousness. My dear friends, every one of us can experience this. We can all leave behind the grief of life and delight in Hashem Yisbarach. The mishtakchem mitzara delay, as the Gemara says about those who immerse themselves in Torah study, they forget about their pain. And they immerse themselves in my word. Every one of us can mend our broken spirits. Every one of us can choose to be happy. As it says in Tanya, and it's one of the 12 Psukim as well, Yismach Yisrael, where do we find joy from? Be'oisov. Hashem finds joy, and Jewish people, Am Yisrael, should find joy, Be'oisov, in the things we do. Because Hashem's find joy in us, so we should find joy in that. Find joy in that. Leave the broken spiritedness behind. Interestingly enough, the Abar Benel, when he talks about this idea of yoga in Lesimcha, he says that a person who is always a slave or is intrinsically a slave, no, he's a slave. That's all he knew. 
But the Jewish people had a tradition, they had an ancestry, they had a lineage, they had a background, they knew where they came from. And so they felt a sense of yogurt, a sense of grief that only somebody who knew of a different kind of life could have experienced. But of course, the words of the Abarbanel focus on what happened to them. And here, the words of Maharal are explaining what could happen to us. To us. We can experience, we do experience yogurt. And we can go from yogurt, we can go into simcha, into joy. The next thing is mi'evel, from mourning liyomte, from mourning into the notion of a joy. By the way, before we go on to mi'evel liyomte, mi'yogin l'simcha, the medrash b'chidrash says that not only did they have these onerous decrees stacked up against them, they had no, so to speak, security. Nobody knew what was coming the next day. They lived with constant anxiety. What is coming next? When does the next shoe proverbially fall? And that totally crushed their spirits. And that gave them this grief. So now, from mourning into festivity, says the Maharal, this corresponds to the notion of bitterness. The bitterness, they embitter their lives. As we know, that day of mourning is called the prophet Amos as Yomar, the bitter day. The bitter day is when something happens that embitters everything. You can't enjoy anything because you're embittered. As we learned earlier, the words of the son of the Rambam who says that the nature of something bitter is that it embitters everything to the point the person would be swallowing their own bitter bile. Everything is embittered. You can have nice things, but they're embittered. So this was an evil. This was the notion of, of evil was the mirirut was the, the bitterness that we felt. Everything, it was, we were bitter about everything. And we went out from that bitter into the notion of absolute festivity. The Rashbats, Rabbeinu Shimshon, Ben Semach Duran, he says in his Haggadah that we know that the slaves walked barefoot. And then, when they went to freedom, they felt they could get dressed like a Yom Tov. You know, you dress a certain way, you feel good. They didn't have the privilege of normal clothes. Think about camps. Think about those striped pajama uniforms. Think about those shoes. Morning. And then they emerged into festivity. Yom Tov is always associated with beautiful clothes. The Maharal goes on and he explains. So what then is the meaning of me'afela la'ora, when from darkness into bright light, into great light, he says that the Jewish people prior to the Exodus felt as if they didn't exist on their own. They were like in the womb of an animal. Imagine a human being stuck in the womb of an animal. Greatest darkness, no light. And then they were born. So this notion of a felal or godal is indicative of the birthing process. We can also be reborn. Sometimes we feel swallowed up by our realities or the realities around us. And then we can experience a sense of liberty and we can be born onto our own. We can personalize that. Meshibud from the notion of bondage into redemption, 
This, of course, encapsulates the essence of our experience. We were not permitted freedom. We had no freedom. And then we were redeemed. We were subjugated to a foreign power. And then we were able to emerge, be redeemed as our own nation. And so these are the five things that we speak of. In the name of the fun of Hallelujah. We conclude with a crash, or the crescendo, I should say, of the Hallelujah, the greatest praise for Hashem, acknowledging His kindness for having redeemed us then and for having empowered us to experience redemption today. We finish with the words, So let us sing Hashem's praise. Guess what comes next? You did guess it right. The Hallel. After we say, And so we say before Him, Hallelujah. What's the very next words? Hallelujah. Why do we recite the Hallel here? And why is it in piecemeal? Why are we sitting, not standing? These and many, many other questions will be addressed fascinating next episode which is called the Song of Freedom. I hope that you'll be joining. Have a beautiful day.